politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house to guide you this new week, Monday, April 25th, in the fight for our life, liberty, property. Who is going to fight for us? It's not going to be some phantom guy coming on, some messiah riding on a horse. It's going to be you. We have the power through self-government, localism, to take back some areas of this country that are supposed to be red, focus on counties, focus on state legislatures, and you'd be shocked at how much we could accomplish. That is the lesson for today. Um, I'm sorry I was out Friday, but our last show on Thursday was very much about this, that indeed we can have nice things. We can accomplish things. We don't have to fall on other people's swords. We could fight for our own battles our own ideals and achieve our own goals we just have to stay focused most of my colleagues today are going to be focused on elon musk and all their commentary on that i'm I'm reserving judgment for him honestly historically i couldn't stand the guy it does appear that covid kind of changed him a little bit and certainly twitter can't get worse than it is with the censorship so um i'm, I'm happy like anyone else that he's taking over but i'm not going to put my trust in him, because what matters more than social media as an end to itself, social media is a means. Certainly, censorship is a problem, but you have to have an end. You have to have a goal. You have to have an agenda on what civil society should look like, what our border should look like, what our immigration policy, what, what our public health policy should look like, what our criminal justice system should look like, what our economy ideally should look like, what a true free market society looks like. In this show, we give you these goals, long-term goals. We come back to them day in, day out. And if you actually focus on that, you'd be shocked at what we could accomplish. The Florida governor is teaching us this, but we're going to go around the map and talk uh, and discuss some other cases as well. We're going to go through some state legislatures. We'll have uh, one state legislator from Pennsylvania on later today to discuss what he is doing. And... I want you to get a sense of there is good news, but the more good news that there is, the more agitated I get because it demonstrates it doesn't have to be this way. We could accomplish a lot for our side. Now, one of the things we should accomplish is securing our food supply because we've been distracted and we haven't had a food policy as conservatives. An agricultural policy, 60% of U.S. pork production today comes from one company and it's owned by the Chinese um, and they, they have horrible stuff in them. They're creating inflammation, probably creating cancers as well. That's why I want you guys to get moinked just like I did from Moinkbox. Go to moinkbox.com conservative right now. And my listeners, if you sign up for their boxes of grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon, you can get a free year of the best tasting filet mignon in the country. That's one year of the best tasting filet mignon you'll ever taste. Um, the thing about Moink Box is it's a private, small business, American company. Um, these are people who have been farming for a long time in the state of Missouri. And you know what? Their meat tastes like the meat our grandparents ate. They taste great, but they don't have the garbage in them that causes all this inflammation. 
Um, you get to choose the meat delivered in every box right to your door, like ribeyes, chicken breasts, pork chops, um, you name it. Their salmon is really delicious. So again, go to moinkbox.com slash conservative. That's M-O-I-N-K box.com slash conservative. Don't feed the international food cartel owned by the Chinese. Okay, so I want to start today first with an exchange between Representative Randy Fine in Florida and this Representative Joseph, a Democrat, last week during the debate over the special um, shelter that Disney had to control their own autonomous area, and it has now been taken away. The governor has signed that bill. But I, I, I meant to play this last week. Take a listen to this clip of Randy Fine presenting the bill and testifying um, before a Democrat on that committee. We have talked about the permitting process. You talked about how they can do their own permitting. Yes, that has resulted in permits being very quickly approved and processed, construction projects being immediately given a green light to move forward, and good-paying union jobs immediately being deployed into the area to facilitate those projects. So what is the overall economic impact on this proposal? You're recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. It's refreshing to hear you talk about the value of deregulation and government getting out of the way with red tape. might be something that we do in other areas as well, outside of just Reedy Creek. Um, what I would say is, again, um, um, Orange and Osceola County can make those decisions on how they want those permitting processes to work. Maybe what they do at Reedy Creek would be a good thing for them to do. Folks, I love what, what the point he made, and it was this. You can have... 50 years worth of regulating, regulating, regulating in a way that creates a monopoly for their companies. And then when they use that to violate human rights or to promote stuff we don't like, suddenly we're like, well, I don't like regulating business, even though we're not even regulating. We're just taking away special tax exemptions or certainly very special carve outs for, you know, autonomous control of of state territory. That's fascism. Okay. So we're not going to allow them to suddenly just like, hey, you know, you have to cover uh, sex change operations and you have to perform them. Oh, but then you get to discriminate and deny uh, kidney transplants to someone not getting a clot shot. We're not going to do that. We're not going to play that game. And I think that is the rallying cry now. We're going to use power to combat power. And the Florida governor has really changed the game. You know... As we mentioned last week, Florida is not Idaho or Wyoming. Still considered somewhat of a swing state, but he has turned it into a red state. But it is the third largest state, lots of urban areas. It's never going to be a, you know, R plus 30 state. Or will it? Or will it? Well, it's been unheard of for a governor to, you know, of, of either party to run away with a statewide election there. Yet, there's a new poll from um, University, yeah, UNF, UNF polling. DeSantis versus Christ. DeSantis is up 21 points, 55 to 34 over Christ, and 55 to 32 over the other clown, Nikki Freed, uh, the ag uh, commissioner, um or the Ag Secretary, and the only reason she's running for governor is because she's going to lose her seat as Ag Secretary anyway. Um, So, plus 21 points. I mean, this man has done everything 
over the last few years that the Republican consultancy class has told us would get you, um, you know, negative approval in a, in a red state, much less a swing state. And here he is, fully in command with a historic double-digit lead over his Democrat uh, opponents. Think about that. You could have your cake and you could eat it too. Okay? And unlike Trump, he makes it about the people, not himself. There's a humility. He's relentlessly focused on outcomes. And that's where we should be. I want to take this to the next level and, and talk about Tennessee, where we're seeing this in several other places. Believe it or not, the prophet of woe and lamentation, I do have some good news for you. Tennessee is passing some great stuff. But just one more comment on Florida. You know, part of this war with Disney was to turn the tide of big business. Big business is what really killed us. Democrats and the left, they've controlled uh, foundations. They've controlled Hollywood, academia, and media forever. But really, when they started to turn the corner and destroy our country, and successfully so, was when they got big business. Big business to enforce everything for them. And whatever the new current thing is, the homosexual agenda, um, illegal immigration, refugees, BLM, criminal justice deform, whatever it is, they're on board with it and they enforce it. And what DeSantis was doing is showing we're going to create a reverse momentum in our favor. We're going to let you know that you're going to suffer just as much by going in that direction. So he's may as well stay neutral. Not surprisingly, over the weekend, this is from Fox Business, ExxonMobil, okay? I want to talk about a large corporation. ExxonMobil bans LG, whatever, I hate using that stupid acronym, the homosexual uh, licentious alphabet soup, and Black Lives Matter flags from being displayed at company flagpole. Okay? So um, they're banning the, the, the rainbow flag from being flown outside its Houston corporate office during Pride Month in June. And they also announced they're you know, banning external position flags. Okay? And where do you think this is coming from? I think we know exactly where this is coming from. This is what success looks like. Don't become a victim to the universe that was foisted upon you, you go and change it. Change it. It doesn't have to be this way. It's only this way because Republicans have thrown the fight for so long. They have taken winning issues and turned them into losing issues. That's what they've done. And nowhere is this more evident than with the issue of crime. I have some great news I want to share with you guys today on crime in Tennessee. And then later on, we'll talk about another state legislature and, and, and a good COVID bill there or medical bodily autonomy bill to discuss. But the point is, there are so many good ideas we have that we're told are losing issues when in fact they're winning issues. And not only should we not run away from them, but we should use them as a cudgel to bash the other side over the head and run it up their rear ends. If you do this strongly enough, you find sometimes the Democrats even vote along with it. They only take a position 
so long as they know Republicans will allow them to hold that position. So I want to get into that, but first, our sponsor today, Patriot Academy. Folks, time is running out. Okay, we only have about another week or two to sign up. Join me, Rick Green, and Patriot Academy on May 22nd for the best marksmanship defensive handgun constitutional training session five days out there in the New Mexico desert at the NRA Whittington Center in Colfax County, New Mexico. It's a four four straight days out on the range. You come there uh, Sunday, you'll leave Thursday. It's 80% off the normal price of such training. This is the best handgun training around. We'll get the best instructors. You're going to learn how to clear malfunctions, how to shoot from the holster, proper draw, um, proper sight alignment, handgun grip, um, trigger control, how to get quick and how to get accurate, how to win a gunfight with all the increase in crime. Believe me, you need to learn that. Again, it's patriotacademy.com slash Daniel to sign up. Spots are limited, so register today. So, folks, I've been battling, as you all know, those of you who are veterans of this program, single-handedly for a decade, the weak on crime uh, leniency industrial complex. And it's taken over big corporate. It's taken over the media. It's taken over both sides of academia. So all the think tanks on the right funded by the Koch brothers are just as fervently pro-criminal, pro-de-incarceration as Soros and the left. So we've had states like Tennessee, states like Louisiana and Texas all throughout the South. For the last decade, they've been adopting criminal justice reform, as they call it. All that means is weak on crime. Reagan actually used that term to mean tough on crime, and they've bastardized the term to mean the opposite. And it's built upon this lie that somehow we have too much, um, too many people behind bars. So throughout the last decade, as the as the Democrats have been pushing egregious pro criminal bills, <clears throat> letting the most violent repeat offenders out of jail. That issue alone, I've said for so long, we could have crushed the left on that issue alone. Meaning a lot of people that aren't for us in a lot of things, I know where I live, it's a pretty Democrat area in general, but the candidates, when they come knocking on the doors, like, oh, we're going to hold the line on crime. You know, because here outside of Baltimore, it's a big problem. Now they're lying. They don't. They vote for the opposite, but they know that's what the people want. And Republicans understood this in the 80s and 90s. And that's a large part of how they took back Congress in 1994. But instead, as you well know, Republicans have been running the opposite. Jared Kushner trapped um, Trump into this. You know, recently there was this dude, I'm forgetting his name, this rapper that was arrested for assault in Sweden when Trump was president. And Jared got Trump to tweet about it and pressured the Swedes to let the guy go. Well, it turns out the guy was now arrested recently for, uh, for a shooting. But that's what we did. We wasted, we squandered the Trump years when crime was beginning to rise as the Democrats were getting more radically anti-incarceration, not just anti-police, but anti-incarceration. Republicans not only didn't hit them over the head and run ads, and you, you guys did what? You support what? You support letting people out on, on bail? No bail for this? What? No, instead they joined along with it. It didn't have to be this way. It didn't have to be this way. You know, before I get to the Tennessee bill, <clears throat> there's a column uh, in the National Journal written by Josh Kreshauer. 
Rising crime is emerging as the top issue for voters this year, adding another glaring political vulnerability to the Democrats' ledger. A Gallup poll conducted last month found concern about crime at its highest level in nearly two decades, with 53% of Americans saying they're worried a great deal about crime. Gallup found crime ranks as the third most important issue among 14 tested, trailing only the economy and inflation. Republicans held a 15-point advantage on that issue. And he basically goes on to say that not just the swing states, but even in Illinois and New York and Oregon, the Democrat governors are in trouble this year because of crime. It's a good column. If you want to see it, rising crime is putting blue state governor races in play. So at the same time, Republicans have spent, and and still in Utah and Louisiana, just this past session, they were still pushing Koch brother-initiated jailbreak bills supported by the American Conservative Union that hosts CPAC every year. This is the gap between conservative intelligentsia and the average even Democrat voter. The average Democrat voter is to the right, eons to the right, of a conservative intelligentsia dude on the issue of crime. Finally, 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 Tennessee has broken that mold. And finally, I don't know, it's taken years, the first solid pro-victims-of-crime, pro-public safety bill passed, and it's a really good one, and I want this to be the model in every state. So if you're working your state legislatures, this is the bill, one of many, that needs to pass. HB 2656 and SB 2248, as amended, basically, it requires people convicted of one of nine criminal offense categories to serve 100% of their sentence, no exceptions. Truth in sentencing. As you all know, all these parole programs, all these jailbreak, good time credits, nobody serves time, and often they serve well under half the time. And to begin with, the sentencing is weak, and to begin with, you have the people pleading down. So again, very few people even get sentenced commensurate to their threat assessment. But after that, there's a, and that needs to be dealt with, by the way. But this is dealing with the second layer that even those who do, you know, so let's say the sentencing guidelines is 10 years, they'll get out after four. So this makes it if you're convicted of homicide, vehicular homicide, attempted first degree murder, rape, robbery, aggravated kidnapping, aggravated burglary, or carjacking. There's no exceptions. Truth in sentencing, you serve 100% of the time. Then additionally, there's a whole bunch, a few dozen lower categories that, they're not low, they're still significant, but one notch below those crimes that you could be eligible for, for parole or one of these programs, but there's always a floor that you have to serve 85% of your sentence. Okay, this, to my knowledge, is the best version of truth and sentencing that has passed in the last decade, certainly this session. HB 2656, that needs to be the gold standard um, for crime. This is a huge, huge action item. The American Conservative Union came out against it, vigorously opposed it. Yet, in the end, let me see the um, tally here. It passed the Senate 20 to 6 and the House 86 to 9. Republicans have a strong majority, but not that strong. So that means a significant number of Democrats voted for it because they called their bluff. They pushed it. 
Um, so there's a lot of lessons here. Now, the governor is opposed to the bill, so but he he's not going to veto it because it'll be overridden. He'll look like a fool. So either he'll be forced to sign it or he's just not going to do anything. But could you imagine that? You have half the Democrats in Tennessee support this. And the governor of Tennessee, Bill Lee, who once said, I'm paraphrasing, we can't open the jail doors quickly enough, he opposes it. And the ACU, which hosts CPAC every year, they oppose the bill. That is the gap between your average voter who's a Democrat and the fake conservative movement. Folks, this in in, in a vacuum is a perfect example for why we have lost for 30, 40 years. We've lost the culture. We've lost public safety. We've lost on borders, language, culture, economy, everything, because Republicans are on the other side. Finally, in this case, one of the big lessons is you can't do anything without leadership. And the reason why Republicans suck in almost every state is because they have terrible leaders that are on the other side. The few states where we accomplish something, Florida, we have the governor, New Hampshire, we have the House leadership, not so much the Senate and certainly not the governor. The Republican governor was just praising the Arkansas governor, the pro-tranny Arkansas governor, Asa Hutchinson. So New Hampshire governor Chris Sununu was praising him recently as a, as a listening to the grassroots. I'm not kidding you. But Bill Lee is the same thing, but he's trying to be a little bit more artful about it. But anyway, in the Tennessee House, um, and later this week we might have him on to discuss the success of this session But Cameron Sexton, the speaker, he pushed this, he spoke passionately for it, and he got it done. Passed both houses and it will become law. This is terrific. You know, I'm always sharing bad news with you and I want to share the good news. But all these clowns, all the so-called conservative organizations, oh, you can't add to the prison population, it's terrible. Prison population in Tennessee has plummeted over the last 10 years, as has in all the states, and crime in Nashville in particular has grown out of control. Again, I'm just going to pepper you with some statistics. Those who want to say that somehow people serve too long or too much. If you look at the clearance rates in the FBI um, FBI numbers, okay, just 61.4% of the 14,000 homicides have been cleared in 2019. And this year, we had closer to 20,000 homicides. So that means you have that number of thousands of um, murderers running loose. The cases have not been cleared. 33%, just 33% of the 125,000 rapes, I'm rounding here, have been cleared. Just 30% of the 239,000 armed robberies have been cleared. And just 52% of the 726,000 aggravated assaults have been cleared. So just among the four big violent categories, okay, rape, murder, armed robbery, and aggravated assault, you have, and and it's gone up since crime has gone up. This is 2019. 5,500 murder cases, 84,000 rape cases, 167 armed robbery cases, and 347,000 aggravated assault cases where there was no arrest. Okay? And the remainder that are cleared, all cleared means is that they cleared the case. 
It doesn't mean the guy was convicted. It doesn't mean he served time. It doesn't mean if he did, he served a meaningful amount of time. You know, to give you a sense of um, of what I'm talking about here, for example, in 2019, there were 17,355 felony convictions in Minnesota. Only 3,600 were fully sentenced in accordance with the sentencing guidelines. What is that, like 17%? And then almost all of them then get out early of that 17%. And that's what the Tennessee bill is is addressing. So you could put drugs and firearms and, and even burglary aside and just focus on those, and we have an under-incarceration problem. So don't tell me we have an over-incarceration problem that is the biggest lie around in terms of how long they typically serve. According to Bureau of Justice Statistics, among prisoners released from state prison in 2018. So that means these are ones that went into the pipeline well before. Um, The numbers have gone way down since then. Criminals on average only served 44% of their sentences. Even for murder, it was only 58% of their sentences. Okay? So this whole thing is an utter lie. The median length of time served for murder was less than 10 years and 30% of the cases and was more than 20 years in only 42% of the cases, meaning more than half of murderers served less than 20 years. The median time served for rape was less than 10 years in 64%. In total, 71%, 71% of those serving time for a violent crime category served less than five years, and nearly half served less than two years. And it's only gotten worse since that BJS report, much worse. Okay, so this entire thing is a myth, but for years, Republicans bought into it, and that includes the Tennessee governor, but kudos to the speaker of Tennessee getting it done. And this is the lesson. When you look at some states, the difference between a supermajority red state that's literally like a Democrat state versus one that's that's starting to accomplish what we're asking them to do is, is a hairline. It's all a matter of do you have good people in a position of leadership? If you do, you get it done. That's the common thread. And Tennessee passed the best comprehensive medical freedom bill. They just passed the only bill in the country um, to make ivermectin completely over-the-counter. The the New Hampshire bill was a standing order from a doctor to a pharmacy, which is fine, too. But, you know, as of now, I believe it's only passed the House. I'm forgetting if it's passed the Senate. It certainly has not been signed yet. Um, Hopefully it will go the distance. But Tennessee is the first state... Um, I know they banned critical race theory. They're about to have a female sports bill. So they're on a pretty good roll there. And that's a, a large part due to the speaker, Cameron Sexton. So I want to give him a shout out. Um, terrific. It shows you what we're missing. Imagine if in every red state, every legislative session, we blitz them on 20, 30 issues. And, they, and every one of the states pass similar bills. The whole cancel culture, the boycott culture couldn't get off the ground. It doesn't have to be this way. And this is before we even talk about president and Congress, which is worthless. I'm telling you, if you focus on the gubernatorial primaries, you focus on the legislative happenings and legislative races, this is where it's at. There's so much more we can do that we're leaving on the table in all these so-called red states. 
We're leaving it on the table. This is what I'm going to focus on. My colleagues get too caught up in the means and not the ends. I'm not saying Twitter is not important and censorship and ability to get out a message, but frankly, most of them don't even have a message to get out. That's part of the problem. And frankly, a lot of them, if you want to know the truth, got caught up and roped into this jailbreak criminal justice deform mentality. I mean, you look at the difference between success and failure. You look at the Ohio and West Virginia governors. Um, what's his name? Mike DeWino and Jim Justice of, of West Virginia. They announced this week that their National Guards are providing an unspecified number of M113 armored personal carriers to go to Ukraine. I guess the fight for the neo-Nazis there. Real nice. They could use that money to give as reconciliation, reparation, for all those that were injured by Pfizer and Moderna's bio shots that they supported. My point is, we have winning issues. Our issues are just, our data is correct. And frankly, they're popular with the majority of people. Crime is the perfect example of this. Um, you know, uh, where was this? Just looking here, trying to find my data here. There was a poll. I wrote about this, and why can't I find it here? I'll, I'll, I'll get it. Pew Research had a poll of black voters and their priorities. You know, what sort of, um, what are their top issues? And amazingly, what they found, okay, their top issue was violence and crime, ahead of the economy even, even with all the inflation. And this trend persisted across most age groups. Every age group over 30 chose violence over the economy as a top issue of concern. Quote, violence or crime is the most mentioned issue among both those who say being black is extremely or very important to how they think about themselves or those who say being black is not as important to how they think about themselves, meaning Cut across those lines, just 3% chose racism as the top issue. Not surprisingly, income and education status played a role. Black adults um, who, uh, where is this? just want to accurately quote the Pew dudes here. Um, so they, they pulled people based, you know, on education status, bachelor's degree, um, you know, graduate, as well as income. Black adults with a college degree or higher are less likely than those with lower educational attainment to say violence or crime is the most important issue. Meanwhile, the top community issue mentioned among black adults with lower middle income is violence or crime. 20% among lower income, 16% among middle income, and then you know went down to upper income. So again, it's no different than among whites. That it's people that live more in gated neighborhoods. They don't care. Oh, I don't care about the crime issue. And, and not only that, you might even have time to virtue signal about how you love criminals because, hey, it doesn't affect you. But most blacks, you know, they're living in war zones. So Trump was convinced to go along with this stupidity from the Koch brother, phony, deranged conservative movement that is not conservative at all. And all they did is conserve the left's Soros agenda. And they convinced him to believe that the way to get the black vote 
is by pandering and saying, oh, we're locking up too many black criminals rather than focusing on black victims of crime. And it turns out when you pursue the wrong thing for the wrong reasons, when you pursue the wrong policies for political motivations, your political barometer is broken as well. Because guess what? Being tough on crime is a winning issue, just like being tough on illegal immigration is an issue. And really being pro-America first on legal immigration as well was always a winning issue. Their political barometers have been broken forever. What they tell you is an unwinnable fight is not just winnable, but desirable and would crush the left. We've been lied to. We've been lied to politically forever. So there is some good news. I'm, I'm, I'm sensing this change. I want to focus on one other bill before we get to the bill we're going to discuss with our guest here. Um, where is this? See my stack of stuff here, as Rush used to call it. So in Colorado, there's, there's an important bill that would, it's kind of like a resolution. It would apologize to the citizens of Colorado, apologize to them for having pushed COVID fascism. It's introduced by Representative Stephanie Luck, L-U-C-K, whom I must say, she was the first person to have an ivermectin prescribing bill, and that's where I got the original language from, and I passed it around to other people. So, Stephanie, if you're listening, just know, even though you're in a blue state and you, you, know, you couldn't get it passed, but so many others have gotten that passed, you were the first one to start it. So she has this HJR22-1022. Uh, if you want to look it up, this is something we should shop around to every state. You know, the first um, step in repentance is acknowledging you sinned and then apologizing for the sin and then obviously um, resolving never to commit it again and, and, and putting in safeguards to prevent, to prevent yourself from being tempted by that evil inclination to be, you know, you can't just say, oh, I'm not going to do it again. You have to demonstrate in your life, you know, what you're going to do to, to get out of that. You know, so if you're someone who's prone to steal, well, you know, I'm not going to put myself in that situation anymore, right? Um, so that is what our government needs to take, those, those steps of repentance. And that begins with acknowledging and apologizing to the people the mistake they made. So this bill apologizes for the lockdowns and the mandates and the denial of treatment. And I think this is something that is important leading up to our next guest um, to pass, so again, if you want to look that up, that's HJR House Joint Resolution 22-1022 by Representative Stephanie Luck in Colorado. Let's make this the standard. When you watch what's going on in Shanghai and elsewhere, they are not done with this. You know, Fauci said recently in an interview, we are concerned about the courts getting involved in issues that are unequivocally public health issue. This is a CDC issue, not a court issue. It's funny, they never minded courts getting involved in politics before. But again, they're being very clear to you. Even the Republican governors, very few of them, have said this is illegal, immoral, illogical, and inhumane, and will never be done again, and we're going to put in safeguards that this can never be done again. They're just, yeah, we're kind of done with it. But the minute that they manufacture the next pandemic or something similar to it, believe me, 
these Republicans will go along with it. And that's why we need to put in these safeguards. So folks, after you acknowledge your sin and you apologize for it, like we said, you have to accept upon yourself not to do it again. Um, you can't just uh, ravage someone and beat them up and then, yeah, I won't do it again. You have to make sure there are barriers in place to um, verify, not trust. And I think when you look across the country, you look at all these governors, and that includes Republicans as well. Like we mentioned a moment ago, the minute the masters that control whatever this uh, pandemic is, the minute they come out with the next thing, they'll go right back into it. One of the most potent things we can do is a constitutional amendment. State constitutions are much easier to amend, um, especially with supposed GOP majorities in the legislature than the federal constitution. And we need to codify the right to bodily autonomy. Now, when I've been when I started promoting this a year ago, um, the first place I saw this was really in Pennsylvania. Uh, Representative Russ Diamond, who's with us today, he represents uh, Pennsylvania's 102nd district, uh, Lebanon County, Pennsylvania. He's been representing them since 2014, and he's really been the leader, standing up to the governor there. Um, and others fighting for bodily autonomy, freedom to open your business. The governor actually wanted him censured for, for fighting him. And one of his bills is HB 2013. This is the constitutional amendment that we've been using as the blueprint, shopping around elsewhere. Unfortunately, we don't have a single state that has passed this yet. Um, but this is where it begins in Pennsylvania. This is the single most important legislative item in my mind, and we have the author of that bill with us today. Russ, thanks so much for joining us today on Blaze Media. Uh, my pleasure, Daniel. It's good to be with you. Yeah, well, I've been shopping around your language here you know, for this constitutional amendment to all sorts of state legislatures. Uh, several others have introduced it. Unfortunately, uh, their leadership was not too into this. Um, talk to me a little bit about the nature of the resolution, what you're trying to accomplish, and where it is through the, the, the process. Sure. So um, let me just start off by just actually reading the very simple language of this constitutional sure. amendment. It would establish medical freedom as a fundamental individual right in Pennsylvania for everyone. And it's titled The Right to Medical Freedom. Uh, the text is very simple, two sentences. The right of an individual to refuse any medical procedure, treatment, injection, vaccine, or prophylactic may not be questioned or interfered with in any manner. Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged to any person in this commonwealth because of the exercise of the right under this section. So essentially what we're saying is nobody's going to do a vaccine mandate. And nobody if, – if there's some question about whether you should get a vaccine or not, your decision will not be the basis for any discrimination. Now, our language is taken – most of the language is borrowed from our, our provision in Pennsylvania that protects our right to bear arms. The second sentence of that um, of this bill uh, is taken right from the same passages of our Constitution that prohibit discrimination based on gender, 
or or race or ethnicity. So none of this is stranger language to to sure. Pennsylvanians because it's in our constitution already. And the reason we have to do this, I mean, you really did touch on this. Is this is a process. I mean, I always go back to the founders when they put in the right to free speech, the right to bear arms, the right to a jury trial, uh, the, the right to not have troops quartered in your home. They didn't do that for no reason whatsoever. They did that because they lived through what it was like when these things were not protected and they knew how bad it was. Now we are at the same crossroads in a seminal moment in time on medical freedom. We have just lived through the worst instance of medical tyranny, not just by governments, but by corporations, sometimes international corporations and nonprofits in trying to impose their will upon your private, very private, uh, family medical decisions and, and, and try to you know, force you to do something or you would lose your job, you would be treated like a second-class citizen, you would be excoriated in public, you know, that sort of thing. So this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to come up with a cure now for the, for the illness that we just went through, the illness of medical tyranny. This is the cure. Because this will establish once and for all that no government or corporation can try to force you to get a vaccine or, you know, any medical procedure or treatment, injection, vaccine or prophylactic against your will. And it really goes back to the original premise of informed consent. You need to have informed consent uh, in, in, in the field of medicine. Um, you have a right to decide what goes into your body and what medical treatments you undergo and what, you know, for your minor children, what they undergo. So this is going to ensconce this in uh, Pennsylvania's constitution uh, as a fundamental individual right, uh, because the only exemption you should ever need is to say, no, thank you. Um, and that way we can go forward. We do have 49 co-sponsors on this bill, and uh, we'll be holding a press conference on Wednesday, urging our leadership to bring this vote up to the floor in the House for a vote. Um, I am happy to report that we introduced this in October of last year, and within three weeks, our chairman of our House Health Committee, Kathy Rapp, she actually moved the bill out. Yes, And so she, she, she recognized it as a really good start. We've got 49 co-sponsors, and we're now trying to um, um, instill in our House leadership here the need to bring this bill up for a, for a vote on the House floor. Yes, and you are the only state that has even passed this out of a committee, which is, right. which is definitely good news, and you're on your way to passing this. A couple of quick, quick questions. Um, we have among the most egregious forms of discrimination is the denial of medical care, the denial of uh, organ transplants on account of not right. getting uh, the shot. Um, it, it, would that be covered by this amendment? It, it absolutely would be covered by this uh, amendment, especially here in Pennsylvania, because most of our medical systems are nonprofits. And l let me delve into that a little bit, because there's a lot of people who take umbrage with our second sentence here, where we're we're barring discrimination based on this, because they say, well, these people are in the private sector, and we shouldn't be imposing our will on the private yeah. sector. But hold on a second. Any corporation... LLC, any business that operates under a state license, any nonprofit organization, look, they are only operating as they are operating because they've been 
awarded some sort of grant of government privilege with a yes. corporation. It's a shield from liability public from accommodation. individual investors. Yeah, and the public accommodation thing. So the same, the same arguments you're using to say you can't discriminate against somebody based on their gender or their race or their ethnicity. We're saying the same thing applies here because when you operate under a state charter or a, 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 a uh, state registered corporation that is the government granting you some privilege in order to do something else and in some respects you are now a state actor yes and and, and we apply anti-discrimination law in every other context so certainly when it's the most harmful and egregious and anti-science and anti-humanity you know you got to have it equally it's not like oh you know they could just do whatever they want on every other issue no i mean this is codified in there um now obviously you are a large body um you yep. have you have about uh, 200 or so members so you're right you will will need to grow the support and Again, so this is at the Capitol, what, Wednesday morning? Wednesday morning, it'll be in the Capitol Rotunda, in the main rotunda here in the Capitol. Yes. In Harrisburg. So, yeah, if you guys could show up there and and show support for HB 2013, um, this is not just state. This is national because this will really reverberate. This is the vaccine that we need, a vaccine against tyranny to immunize ourselves against this happening again. And I love how you said this is a crossroads because I think it really is. On the one hand, people are ticked off about it. But on the other hand, it's still kind of fresh. But, you know, you right. wait wait a while and don't do anything about it, then it will ebb and you'll lose your window and then they'll come in again. Um, I found it really scary when I just quoted from Fauci over the weekend. He just said that, you know, he's concerned about the courts getting involved. It's a CDC issue, not a court issue. He's clearly signaling that, you know, he wants to reserve the balance of his time to, to implement this stuff again. They're definitely going to do that. And um, I, I, I actually believe he's right. Um, in general, I don't like the courts getting involved in things. It's not a court issue. It's a state legislative issue. It's the people's representative issue. And one of the things, if you could talk about the political process, what I like about this is not just the outcome, that it's enshrined in the most powerful way you can to the extent we even abide by laws anymore, the state constitution, but the process that you actually have the people directly voting on the most fundamental question to arise from the last two years. You're correct, because um, the constitutional process in Pennsylvania, it may differ from other states, but here's what it is in Pennsylvania. We pass a bill out of the House and the Senate in one session. Then we have to return after an intervening election and pass the exact same language through the House and the Senate. It does not go to the governor. It goes right to the ballot for the people to either ratify or reject as part of our constitution. And let's remember that our constitution is our most fundamental law, and especially here in Pennsylvania, the Declaration of Rights, we're talking about the individual rights, it's the equivalent of the Bill of Rights here in Pennsylvania. But that particular section of our constitution is the center of the entire universe around which every other law revolves. Because that's the highest priority of government, is to protect individual rights. That's the American system. So this is the absolute perfect place to, to put medical freedom and, and, and to make that one of the centerpieces of liberty 
Um, and it's very fitting that we're doing this, that we're looking to do this in Pennsylvania, where liberty was born in the United States of America. And it's funny, I'm just looking at my wall here. I have um, two medallions, the Great Seal of Pennsylvania. And most people never see the obverse or, or the, the reverse side of that medallion, where it has a, uh, a depiction of Lady Liberty standing over a lion. The lion represents tyranny. And the motto on the reverse side of this emblem is both can't survive. We are standing with Lady Liberty and trampling tyranny with this amendment. And I am just so looking forward to the to the point where the people will go to the polls and actually vote for this for themselves and finally decide that we're never going to do that again ever in Pennsylvania. Now, to be clear, you know, obviously you guys are in a little different situation. I mainly focus on GOP trifectas. You have a Democrat governor there. So, you know, and Mm -hmm. you don't have a supermajority, so you will veto things. But when it comes to a constitutional amendment, you guys have control of of both houses. And am I correct that with a simple majority, but it has to pass twice, um, you could avoid the governor and get it on the ballot? Absolutely. We can bypass the governor entirely. And for something of... Of of this import, I believe it's 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 fitting that we can bypass this particular governor who wreaked havoc across our Commonwealth for the last two years. I mean, it's it's, it's just fitting that we can bypass him and go right to the people on this. Yes, and and this needs to be a model elsewhere again. Having the people vote on their own bodies again. I mean, ideally. Um, this should be enshrined, even if you're a minority of people. This is the ultimate minority rights, but it's not in there. We got to get it in there. Um, the reality is the courts are running around with Jacobson. Um, we we firmly disagree with that, but that's what the federal courts are doing. So they're certainly never going to read it into the Bill of Rights, and we got to get it into the state constitutions. There's so much more uh, coming down the pipeline. Moderna has 15 more mRNAs. They're, they're going to keep this going, and, uh, you know, we got to have those guardrails. So, to be clear, there really is no excuse for GOP leaders in the House and Senate for not bringing this up, because you know, often they'll say, well, we don't want to chew up the clock with it, the governor will veto it anyway. Let's wait until we get a Republican governor. In this case, obviously, they have a free free runway if they believe in it. Absolutely. And look, we, we, we actually have an example of when we did this just recently here in Pennsylvania to actually shut down our governor. We had to modify our constitution. We had to amend our constitution. So we, we passed that constitutional amendment at the end of the last legislative session. We came back to a new legislative session and immediately passed them and put them right on the ballot in the spring. It, it, we have uh, we have uh, the, the, the precedent here in Pennsylvania where when there's a will, there is a way. So we need to make sure that our leadership uh, sees the will of the people. And we're asking folks to you know reach out to their legislators and get their legislators to go talk to their leaders and say, put this bill on the floor. And our motto is put medical freedom on the ballot. Hashtag HB 2013. I mean, it's very, very simple. Just put it on the ballot. Let the people decide because we here in the General Assembly don't have the final say over this. The people do. When is the first opportunity you have to get it on the ballot? Because I know you do have to pass this twice. <coughs> yeah, um, we have to pass it twice. So the earliest this could be on the ballot is spring of 2023. 
Spring of 2023. Okay, so it won't be on for November. And when you say spring of 2023, right. is that like a primary or something? Um, that, that'll be here in Pennsylvania. That'll be municipal and judicial elections. Um, so we could get along the primary, uh, get along that primary ballot, um, just like we had the the um, constitutional amendments to limit the governor's emergency powers. By the way, we were the only state who actually did that. Um, but we did that on a primary election ballot in a municipal election year as well. Mm. Wow, that that is important. Yeah, Pennsylvania is the only state that actually brought a COVID question to the people. And, you know, it won and, and the governor was defeated um, and it limited his powers. But again, it wasn't, you know, all encompassing like this based on uh, uh, what we've what we've seen occur after that, which is something we couldn't have imagined. Uh, we did again. Right. I, I did have friends introduce this for me, your version in uh, Kentucky and Idaho. But unbelievably, they have they have much stronger majorities than you do in those states, and you know leadership blocked it. So uh, we're looking to Pennsylvania again. Wednesday is the example uh, to to get this ball rolling. Um, Russ, before you go, uh, people are going to want to ask you this. You're a legislator from the state of Pennsylvania. Okay, you know what's on people's minds. Obviously. Um, there's a lot of good opportunities. You can get a trifecta, as you usually do in midterms with a Democrat in the White House. It typically happens in Pennsylvania, certainly a year like this. Um, you should be able to accomplish a lot, um, you know, the election. And you look at Pennsylvania in particular, nothing added up. Um, I remember doing analyses on the vote count of the presidential election versus some of the down-the-ballot races. Something's really funny with the mail-in ballots, has anything been rectified in what have Republicans done in Pennsylvania to give people confidence that headed into this year's election, things have changed? Well, unfortunately, in Pennsylvania, we did pass a massive uh, election integrity bill. It was House Bill 1300, and we sent it to the governor, but our governor vetoed it. And we don't have supermajorities to override his veto. Um, so we are basically in the same place we were in November 2020 with our elections here in Pennsylvania. But that said, we have a lot of great citizen grassroots movements out there who have brought attention to things. Um, we have um, counties who are believing that those drop boxes are maybe just not worth the hassle that they caused. So we have counties that we have one of our largest counties, our second largest county, Allegheny County, is not even going to do drop boxes in the spring. Um, now, whether they do them in the fall or not is a different story. Uh, but we also have before us, and it's actually before the Pennsylvania Supreme Court now, is a case uh, where our one of our lower appellate courts, the Commonwealth Court, actually declared that no excuse mail-in mail voting in Pennsylvania is absolutely unconstitutional. We await the Supreme Court's ruling, final ruling, on on that decision. Uh, they have heard they heard oral arguments on that case on March 8th of this year. Uh, I listened intently. Uh, the Chief Justice Max Baer he has some 
pointed questions that led me to believe that maybe at least they're thinking about upholding that Commonwealth Court decision. Uh, But we'll have to see what they say. I believe they'll probably issue their opinion on that and their ruling on that after the primary election. There were some concerns in the oral oral arguments that if they declared it unconstitutional at that time in uh, early March, that it might interfere with the administration of this particular primary election coming up. So I kind of think they're going to issue that decision almost immediately after the primary election is over so that our local election bureaus can then make whatever adjustments they have to do um, accordingly for the November as far in advance of the November election as possible. So we've got a lot going on here in Pennsylvania, and uh, but a lot is going to depend on that Supreme Court ruling on whether the Commonwealth Court's ruling that no excuse mail-in voting is unconstitutional in Pennsylvania will be upheld or not. Well, either way, Pennsylvania is going to be a critical state. You know, next year, uh, there's a lot more that could be done in that state. And and again, this is just one of the many reasons why I believe state and gubernatorial elections are more important than the federal elections. So um, we'll be following that real quick before you go. Masks. So obviously, uh, as you mentioned, Liberty was born in Philadelphia, yet they became the first city to try to bring back another uh, mandate to criminalize human breathing. Would that be covered by HB 2013? I believe that uh, uh, um, a sharp lawyer could make that be covered because the word prophylactic is used here. Mm. And I believe the mask, as people are trying to uh, impose it, is a medical prophylactic. Uh, So I believe it would be covered. It was not the intention why I used the word prophylactic in this language. Uh, I actually used the word prophylactic because uh, at the time I was writing this, the COVID-19 vaccine itself, it was turning into being nothing more than a personal prophylactic for some people, not for all people, but for some people. So that's why I put the word prophylactic in there. But I've I've been asked a lot by a lot of people whether that could include masks or not. It's like, look, I guess, uh, you know, a sharp lawyer could put an argument together that it would. So and, and it's funny that Philadelphia has now rescinded that mask mandate because they were sued and they've seen and, and I will. I mean, you talked about the courts earlier in our in our conversation here. I will have to credit the courts because for the most part, the courts are coming down on the side of freedom on this. And, and determining that, you know, these federal mandates are unconstitutional and, and that sort of thing. So right now I'm not as unhappy with the courts as I usually am. <laughs> but, uh, you know, sometimes, you know. But uh, you got to get a vaccine. And, and the best vaccine yeah. is having the most democratic process through your elected officials. And in this case, correct, giving out to the people. That's what we got to do. We got to take our destiny in our hands. Thank you, Russ Diamond, for joining us, a representative from Lebanon County, Pennsylvania. Uh, again, with the first real um, immunization for liberty against tyranny, constitutional amendment of bodily autonomy. We need this in every state. Uh, thanks for pushing this and keep us posted on the progress. Absolutely well. Thank you, Daniel. God bless. So, folks, this is where it's at. I mean, Local elections, getting the right people in the right places, pushing the right legislation, relentlessly harnessing um, the the megaphones. Look, if if Elon Musk succeeds and and he really is what he says he is, then then all the better. And we'll have a medium through which to promote our message. But we have to have a message. And more important than a message, you have to have an end goal. The message is also just a means of achieving your goal. What is it we want? to accomplish at any given time. And to me, 
codifying permanent bans on any ability to control our body um, and discriminate based on that. That is what we've learned. It, it, remember, uh, I, I thought he brought up an important point that you know the Constitution was crafted in the context of having gone through a certain degree of tyranny right before that, and it specifically addressed that. How we can go through the last two years and not have state constitutional amendments on this is just insane to me. It's insane that it has not been put on a single ballot in a single state. Um, it, it really distresses me a lot, but you know they're pushing it, and I give uh, Russ Diamond credit for uh, pioneering this idea. We are pretty much out of time. Wanted to get to some other things on the border, but we will save that for tomorrow. We'll have some other important guests on later this week. Let me know what you're interested. Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com is the email at rmconservative on Twitter. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.